Welcome to Open Ends with Josh Harrod and Will Dixon. This is our first episode back after our short hiatus. In that time, we've been planning some more episodes in developing a new format to allow for a slightly snappier, more flowing conversation. Today we chat to Ronan Kemp, a media and performance student studying at Salford University, about creative writing, how to write a story, and we particularly focus on the areas of fantasy and tabletop roleplay. I'll let past Will ask Ronan the first question. Writing, for me, is is something, especially creative writing, is something that a lot of people put off. Um, it's a, it's something that you're told not to do because it's very tricky. So, so how did you get started in it, and how did it, how did you think it might be like a good thing to pursue? Not really. I just have always done it. I've always created. I've always written stories. Um, always designed characters ever since I was a, a little kid. And as I got older and I got new hobbies, um, they kind of just they just kind of connected with that um, joy of writing. So one of my main hobbies now, which is linked to writing, is I play um, Dungeons and Dragons and a lot of other tabletop RPGs, and that links very heavily into writing because you're making, yeah, you go. You're making a world. Writing those campaigns, yeah. yeah. And it's slightly different from, say, writing a novel, which I still haven't done, and I have tried. <laughs> um <laughs> And that's something I'll get into actually about world building is um, yeah, yeah, yeah. the world building in in Dungeons and Dragons and other tabletop RPGs is a shared experience because yes, the GM creates uh, the skeleton, the skeleton, but it's the players that actually make the world come alive. You can't plan everything out completely when you are playing Dungeons and Dragons. Because the players are never going to follow the exact path. They aren't characters that you've made in your head. They they aren't bound by what yeah. you tell them to do. There's always going to be like... So, say you want your players to go and meet a specific person in a tavern. If you're writing a story, that would be easy enough. you just got to come up with a reason as to why they would be together. Yeah. <laughs> I can tell you that there will always be one, one character... That will either kill that NPC, piss off that NPC, <laughs> or just do something that would make it that that NPC would not help them. At- yeah. So, so for Dungeons and Dragons, you make making a world rather than the characters, the people who play it bring the characters for that. Yeah. Like if you're a newbie, the GM might give you pre-generated characters to to give you like a feel of how to mm. play, but the players will always make their own characters and it's up to the uh, the game master or the dungeon master uh, to make like the npcs the non-playable characters the enemies uh, the threats the encounters uh, to just kind of give the players um a sense of the world and, and a bigger picture of what they're actually dealing with and they're the ones who kind of make the story really uh, but but that's the thing about dungeons and dragons and other tabletop rpgs because there's not just Dungeons and Dragons, which is high fantasy. There's superhero ones yeah. and sci-fi ones and horror ones, and it's it's a very interesting, a, a niche hobby, but a very interesting <laughs> hobby. No, definitely, and I think it's really useful if you're wanting to get into world building as a bit of a, a way to get into. It. How did you start with Dungeons and Dragons? You know what? I think I just heard about it. I think I just heard about yeah. it. Yeah. I remember I got into Warhammer, which is 
kind of similar, kind of different. Warhammer is where you paint the little models, and you you do like battles uh, with like figures and dice and stuff, and that's mm. kind of similar because you collect little armies and you customize them. And I don't know. I I would always do this. I would always make stories for them. I would always like name them and and come up with, like a story yeah. for them because it's like it, you imbue. You, you want to make a story. I always make a story with something. And then from there, I kind of just heard about Dungeons & Dragons and looked into it. And I actually remember the first ever thing I ever watched about Dungeons & Dragons was uh, Vin Diesel playing it. Uh, he had a special where he played Dungeons & Dragons with a group of people. And I just thought, this is like, I was like, this is amazing. Like, why isn't more people doing this? Um that was back in high school, and uh, I didn't. <laughs> I actually didn't get to play Dungeons and Dragons properly until uh, university, unfortunately, because uh, I live in Blackburn, and there's like one tabletop gaming shop, and that, and that, that's not even that's not even Blackburn. That's in Burnley. So. So when it comes to like the the fantasy aspect of it like the, the building a world like i can imagine that playing a tabletop rpg such as dungeons and dragons uh and and crafting that world would be vastly different to crafting a world that is built for a novel um because of that interactive element so what kind of differences would you see in like the world building kind of experience i suppose Aside from the actual medium itself, the world building between the two is very, very similar because um, I have sat down to come up with a world for a story or sat down to come up with a world for a campaign and I have been faced with the same questions and uh, headaches uh, that come with the two. Uh, particularly fantasy, um, I think when you're designing a fantasy world, it's very intimidating. If you're if you're doing something in modern day, it's not that bad because you have a basis in reality. But when it's fantasy, you want to get everything, or at least I want to get everything right, and I think a lot of people do. And I think what that has to do with is um, Lord of the Rings, um, because Lord of the Rings is like the pinnacle of fantasy world building. Like Tolkien just went. It was insanely good. He made everything about the history, geography. He made his own language from scratch and showed the development of it. So it's... It is pretty amazing, is that book. I have read it. And to anyone who's listening to the podcast, highly recommended if you wanted to get into world building. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's... It, he, he thought of everything. He really thought of everything. And, and now when I go to build a world... I'm trying to think of the same things. And I'll admit, there are some things I have no real understanding of. I don't know how cities are developed. I don't know how geography works. I have no idea how languages form. And so with both worlds, with both, um, well, both worlds for a novel and for a campaign, I'm constantly trying to think, um, how am I going to make this seem real but exciting and and sometimes that leads to me getting completely overwhelmed because i'm trying to think of hundreds of answers for hundreds of questions at once instead of just thinking okay let's start in a town and then develop it from there so if i was running a campaign uh, i would just start it in like a simple town and then i would ask the players like about their backstories 
So, you know, maybe the players are from the town, but maybe they're not from the town. Maybe they're in other villages. Okay, what's that village called? Is that in another kingdom or is that in the same kingdom? Uh, if it's in another kingdom, why are you in this kingdom? Uh, if it's in the same kingdom, why did you move from that village? And then from there, um, that begins to develop the world a bit more. Um, while in a novel, I would kind of come up with the characters myself and then kind of figure that myself. So I guess the only difference between a campaign and running a Dungeons and Dragons campaign and writing a novel is um, the creative uh, process is entirely on you. It's not like a shared experience. And sometimes I think that Dungeons and Dragons, it, it's just that bit more funny because there is always randomness. There's always going to be that sense of you I, don't know what's yeah. going to happen. Because you can, you can write what your character's going to do and you can sell what your character's going to do. You don't know what's going to happen in that session. You have a brief, you have a brief idea, but but things could go completely in an opposite direction. Sometimes that's bad, uh, but sometimes it leads to like interesting, interesting routes that you can take with the story. So when we look at like big, big worlds and and big books such as Lord of the Rings that you mentioned, and the questions that it leads you to ask. Mm. Um, I heard you mention things like the the geography of it and how languages are formed. So so is world building in a way like a science because it, it sounds like um, anthropology mixed in with a little bit of creativity. Yeah, I what I've noticed from what I've from what I've read and what I've watched, um, some of the best writers are have a deep understanding of science anthropology you know civilizations history because a world until you actually sit down to try and make it you don't realize how much goes into a world how much goes into people um, especially with a fantasy setting where there's multiple races like you, you begin to as you look a bit more into it you begin to think like okay well how what are these races? How do they look? How have they developed? How have they evolved? Um, you, you know, how, like, and how, what is their most common traits? Like, dwarves and elves, dwar I, I would say the big three of, like, fancy races is dwarves, elves, and humans, because they're, like, the most common ones, and, you know, we all, when we all think of those races, we all have, like, a, a common, like, stereotype in our, our head. Elves are, like, all beautiful and graceful and think they're better than everyone else. Dwarves are short, stubborn, big beards, and humans are just humans. <laughs> they're, they're, they're just they're just kind of there. Um, so I I think you don't have to have like an insane knowledge of um, you know like all these different subject matter. I think it just depends how like how hard you want your world building to be. And I I know that might sound a bit weird, but um, in my in when it comes to writing, there's kind of you can have hard world building or soft world building, and basically how hard or soft a, a world is is how defined the rules and logic of that world is. Uh, Which is that would that be right in saying that's more important in fantasy when you have like magic systems and things like that? Yeah, and this concept of a hard magic system it, that applies to magic because if you have a hard magic system, that's a magic that's a magic system where the rules are clearly defined it's clearly defined what that magic does it's clearly defined how that magic works and 
it, you know everything about it. That doesn't necessarily mean that when you start reading that book, the audience is going to know everything about it. But the writer has a, a, a strict set of rules um, that that magic has to follow. So it could be anything from oh, all magic users need some kind of focus to something as extreme as magic users need to like shed blood before they use their magic or something like that. Um, in comparison to magic systems where it's a bit more mysterious. So Lord of the Rings has a very soft magic system because the magic isn't really defined. Like we know Gandalf was a wizard, we know that he can do magic, but we don't know what he can do. And he never really explains how the magic functions. It's much more mysterious, it's much more magic, really. And there's pros and cons to both sides. I'm personally a much bigger fan of like having a hard <laughs> sounds so bad when I say it all the... a hard world and a hard and a hard magical power system because I prefer to know how like a character can use that magic. I don't want it to just be a character in a situation and they're just like, oh clip my fingers, new spell and the threat is gone. Yeah. That's there's got to be some sort of stake and threat yeah. to the character. Yeah, and if you just have like a character pulling out a new spell or a new power every single time they face a threat, it, it's not going to be engaging for the audience, and it's not engaging for the for the for the writer because it's like, well, I, I I'm not really doing anything here. There's no real character development happening, and that's not to say that like uh, powers that aren't fully understood aren't good. They're just more suited for what I've gathered as more narrative focus, more pushing the themes. Um, in a, I actually watched a, a YouTube video uh, by a great YouTuber called Hello Future Me. I don't know if you've heard of him. And um, he was actually discussing soft world building and hard world building. And for hard world building, he did Tolkien. And for soft world building, he did uh, Studio Ghibli, uh, Ghibli films, uh, which I haven't watched them, but they are like, you know, they are just some of the the best critical uh, animated films, Japanese animated films ever made. And in those films, nothing is really explained. Nothing is really given any context. There may be spirits, there may be monsters, but it's never really explained how they fit into the world. And that works because it, it works with his themes. It works with what he's trying to tell. Um, and sometimes that is better uh, for certain stories and sometimes that isn't better because um, there are some people who there's always going to be people who want to know everything about that world like you know look at how vast wikipedias are like there's always that one person asking multiple questions about how magic works how did this city form what's this character's lineage stuff like that so i guess whether you want a soft world or a hard world it depends what kind of story you're trying to tell or just kind of how how much you want your audience to know and that doesn't mean that when you start writing a story that you know it's stuck to one a, a magic system that could start soft and and become more defined as it goes on or in the case of a lot of anime i've noticed it can have it can start off as a, a hard magic system or a power system and it goes soft as the characters just get insanely powerful and get these new abilities every single uh, episode and i hope i don't make any enemies uh, with this but 
shows like Naruto and Dragon Ball seem to be kind of good examples of this. That is nothing wrong against those shows. I've never really watched them, um, but they are quite good. That's just what I've, from what I've noticed. Uh, I've got to be careful what I say here because those are two very We never know, we might get some bases. fans on the podcast at another time to chat about that. Maybe, maybe. I've, I've noticed with the world building process, a really important aspect of it is where did the world begin? So I, I can speak from experience with this one. When I worked on the uh, Linaria project with you, uh, Linaria or however you say it, um, we had a, a kind of a basis of a world there that was already given to us with kind of half of the lore and the kingdoms already present. And then we had to build upon that. I must say that is one of the most daunting things I've ever done because I felt almost as in, okay, we've got all of these systems here. How do we make it better? And how do we make it better correctly? Uh, whereas when you start off with your own world or you have some kind of basis that you already know about, for example, those modern worlds that you talked about, uh, I feel like it would be a lot easier to, to sympathize with the systems that you create entirely from scratch than something that is kind of uh half already done for you or, or half there and then you have to to develop upon it yeah i i agree with that because um writing i would say that writing a story about uh, a 20 year old in the 21st century in london it's got to be much easier than writing a story about a 20 year old in a uh, a fantasy world in the sky or where you know there's that gravity is completely messed up and reversed and there's dragons flying around everywhere because... Do you, I'm just butting in, but do you think it's the world building will be more difficult? But I think characters, the bonds between characters are always pretty similar in those sort of stories Oh yeah, as well. like the... It, it's just the setting, really. I, I would say with that example, uh, you just need to ha take the time to... Well, you don't even need to explain that. Maybe that's just how the world is, and maybe that's uh, maybe the characters don't know how it is, but or maybe you do have to go and explain why the world is like that. With a modern setting, you don't need to explain that because the audience already has a clear image in mind. Uh, but but I kind of find that interesting that this idea of having a basis it 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 harkens my mind to alternate fic uh, alternate history stories. You know, we get a lot of fiction that's about, like, a, a big one is what if uh, Nazi Germany won World War II? Um, you know, what if humans discovered this kind of technology back in the past, etc. Um, writers have a basis, but they only have a basis to a certain point. Because they're saying, okay, at some point, this happened, and now history has completely changed. You've got to think about how different is history going to be, like, and... That I would say that's just as difficult because you are making a new world because, and it's even more difficult because with a world completely from scratch, you kind of have full control. But if it's an alternate history story, you've got to think about what came before it and what would come and see, okay, how has things been shifted around? How, how are things different? Like, how has the world changed? Because... It's, a, it's very difficult to comprehend how the world would be if something else happens because there's there'll be big things and then there'll be small things and it's like that's a headache trying to wrap your head around that so it's almost like a, a hybrid form of world building somewhere in the middle between hard and soft where 
we already have these well-established principles in the real world, but then we also have these absolutely chaotic and fantastical ideas that have been um, plucked out of the out of the ether, so to say. Uh, so, where where would you say the the or, or sorry, would you say there is a, a spectrum of of kind of world-building levels uh, where there are kind of uh, scales to where certain things are are more in detail and then some things are, are more required and more necessary than others it just i think it guess it depends if how far from our own reality you're making this story to be um you know if you're doing a, a high a high fantasy or a, a, let's say you're doing a if you're doing a high fantasy and that's going to be very different from if you're doing a story where uh, at some point in the 21st century, people just develop superpowers, uh, because then you've you've got the you've got the future from there. You you've already got the past. You don't need to explain the past. It's the 21st century. Everyone knows the past. You don't need to explain that. You just got you've just got the future to expand on. Uh, but if you've got um, a fantasy setting, and keep in mind with the fantasy setting, you can easily kind of uh, not cheat it, but you can take inspirations from real. Uh, medieval history a lot of fantasy fiction is based on you know medieval europe or um you know ancient uh i believe it's uh, ancient japan or ancient china or and these civilizations you know you think about how many stories there are knights or or kind of roman gladiators mm. or samurais so i guess it just depends how uh what kind of story you want and what i what your idea is really um because like my ideas often take the form of uh, fantasy uh, mostly superhero i'm a big superhero fan so so if you've got an idea for a story in your head what what do you do you sit down at a blank piece of paper what would you what would you start to do would you would you write out a full like flowchart diagram of your story from start to finish would you come up with some characters? Would you lay out the plot? How would you start to plan for a story? It's kind of interesting because I think for me, it always starts with characters. I always think, uh, let's make a character. And then I kind of build the world around that character or that set of characters. Now, there are times when I think, oh, this would be a cool setting, like... Um, a world that's completely submerged in water that's cool let's think well, let's see what we can do with that so i kind of get the basic idea in mind and then i kind of come up with carrots beyond that or sometimes i start with a power system or a magic system and i kind of think what can i build around this um so i try to i i just try to do it a, a bit at a time because you know, if you if you try to do everything at once, you just become your brain just gets frazzled because it's like, oh, how am I going to do all this? But if you just start with a, a basic idea, uh, like uh, you start in a town and then you develop that town into a city and then you develop that city into a country, and maybe then you stick in that country or you eventually kind of go around uh, the world. So. I started writing a little story uh, a while back, which I've taken a bit of a hiatus off, uh, just to kind of refocus on it. And I, I honestly don't really have a clue how this world is going to develop. I just have a, a stock set of characters, 
I have an established history and I have an idea how the magic system's going to work. But I've got to, and I think what I've just got to do is I've just got to write and and think about what, what do I want these characters to do? Where do I want these characters to go? Because ironically, when I come up with a story, I kind of know where I want it to be. I know I know how it starts, and I know where, it wa- where I want it to go. It's just actually figuring out how they're going to get there. The the pl- the plot aspect of it, so the sort of beginning, middle, and end. Yeah, because it's uh, like the com- the conflict that might arise in the middle. Yeah, cause, and then uh, and then what happens? So I start writing. I think, oh yeah, this is great. This is great. And then I think, oh hang on, how am I going to get to? Oh wow, how am I going to get? Oh that's a problem. And and then I'm like, oh this is gonna <laughs> this is uh, this is gonna take a while. So it's. Uh, it it you just gotta uh, I don't know it it's kind of interesting to talk about writing because everyone is everyone writes differently everyone creates differently everyone views a world differently so I can't really say oh this is how it how it works because it's it's not it's not by any means uh, I I probably write very stories uh, very differently or create characters very differently to to you two I just out of a cool concept and then think okay how how can how can i develop that into a person and and then sometimes with that i get i just get stuck on making that character as interesting as possible because i don't want them to be two-dimensional or or too simple i i find it uh fascinating that you you start off with the characters or uh, a system and then and then build out from there um as you said everyone uh, writes differently um for example, I like to, to start off with the setting and then think about, okay, how would how would this impact people? Um, what kind of people would this environment create? Uh, or what kind of uh, systems and law would this create? Um, I know that, Ronan, you, you write a lot more um, fantasy and things like that, um, whereas I focus more on um, kind of dystopian fiction. Um, and so do you... Uh, do you think that the style impacts uh, the the kind of world building or, or the process of world building that you need to undertake to to understand the environment that you're creating? I think the uh, the the style of the world that you're creating uh, will always uh, will sometimes have a greater impact on the story or a lesser impact on the story uh, depending on the genre. For example, I would say that dystopian and apocalyptic fiction. It is going to have a much greater influence on the narrative and on the characters than, say, a like a, a cipher mm. one. And that's not to say that the that, that stories are not influenced by settings, because of course they are. The characters are directly molded by their environment, and they're so it's all it's always underrunning in the story and the themes. But with but with like dystopian fiction. Oftentimes, the main antagonist to the characters is the world itself. There'll be people kind of there to stop them, but the world, it, it, the world is oftentimes the most dangerous thing. You know, whether it's uh, a world ravaged by nuclear war or a world that is completely ruled by like a single yeah. governing body. Um, I I think yeah, depending on the style of the world. Uh, it has a much larger impact on the story, and that's like still it, it's still great. But obviously, whether the world takes center stage or not uh, depends on 
the, the particular story you have in mind, I suppose. I'm assuming you read quite a lot. You have to read a lot to be to write a lot, I guess. Um, do you read what you write? Are they the same genres? Yes. I admittedly haven't been reading much recently. Uh, lockdown has sapped a bit of my uh, my motivation, but yes, I will yeah. read things, watch things, listen to things, and I will always want to write that kind of thing because I think that's interesting. And I think that's another potential problem that writers might have is that, um, you know, they, they think, oh, this is an original. I want to make something that's original, you know, because if I, if I do this, people might just say, oh, you're just copying this or copying that. Um, personally, I don't think that's, so much, that's as much as an issue because it's very hard to be 100% original now because, you know, everything is taking inspiration from everything. So I think in that perspective, you've just got to take something that you find cool. Uh, yeah, maybe take elements from a from a show or a book that you've read, but just kind of think about how you can make it your own or make it interesting. Whether it be uh, changing uh, the set, the the time period, or changing how the powers or magic works a little bit. So, uh, for example, I'm uh, this is a, a show I haven't fully watched yet is um, My Hero Academia and that's a world completely governed, that's a world where nearly everyone has superpowers, I think it's like only 5% of the population don't have superpowers and superpowers are so common now that being a superhero is just like a job, it's just some, some, something that people can do that's really cool to me, I, I think that's really interesting, because you, then you begin to think like well how, how would certain people, would certain people with powers with certain powers be forced into certain roles you know, like if you if you had a water-based power, would you be like forced to go into like a firefighting service or something like that? And would you not have a choice of just saying, "Nah, I just want to go to a, an office and do like advertising <laughs> or something," um, or something like that? And that's like, and that's an idea that keeps floating around in my head. Like it's like, oh, I'd love to write something yeah. like this. And then and then I'm like, but it's already been done. <laughs> there's there's like a, a an award-winning global anime that is that is doing that idea. But then I, I kind of pull it back and think. Uh, no, I, I can I can do that idea. I've just got to maybe uh, refocus it a little and, and maybe take different themes and have different characters. So there are many probably budding writers that will be listening to this <laughs> podcast, and they will be they will be wondering how to get started with writing because it's pr- it's a pretty intimidating thing to do. It's not it's not like painting or something where you can easily find tutorials online. Finding writing tutorials are pretty tricky. So how how did you get into it and how would you recommend other people get into it i really can't answer that because i just have been writing mm. you know even when i was a little kid i would i would write out stories that were horrible they were mm. terrible but it's just practice really you just kind of um you just kind of see you just kind of look at like free act structures and and like how other stories are written i mean i have I've done like English literature in the past, and I've I've mm. written scripts as well, not only in college but in university as part of my course. So that's given me kind of a, a bit of a, a leg up almost because I've had experience yeah. uh, writing in other forms and and formats and mediums. But to anyone who wants to start writing and just has no idea where to start, read. Uh, read or mm. 
well, probably read because if you want to start writing a novel, you should you should read novels so you can actually understand how they <laughs> how they're structured and how they're formatted. Because much more experienced and much more smarter people than me could point out, you know, that they you write you can write in first person, you can write in third person. You've got a, you know, you've got to really sell the world to the audience, like yeah, and obviously like different writers write differently, you know. Um, you know, uh, I remember The Great Gatsby, uh, really good book. I, I genuinely found it a bit boring the first time I read it, and then I had to repeatedly reread it for English literature, and then I really, like, fell in love with it. Such grandiose language and such vivid descriptions that, uh, that like, other books just wouldn't have. There's a lot of descriptions in The Great Gatsby. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of vivid imagery that, maybe other books would spend on character dialogue or or would spend on on god knows uh what else and also uh, yeah i suppose to anyone who wants to start writing whether it be writing a script writing a book even writing a, a show just just look at just look at just read things watch things see how they're developed because you know it, there is as you as you said, finding writing tutorials online is difficult because it's it, it just there's no one way to write. I guess yeah, that's that, the that's the problem behind yeah, it. Yeah, there's like you can't you can teach someone to write. Admittedly, yes, but you got to find your own way of writing. You got to see mm. like some people might say, oh, to write a book, you make a spider diagram and you joint off, and I can think of. <laughs> I myself hate spider diagrams. I don't. I don't think they're useful, and I can imagine a lot of people be like, "Well, I don't like spider diagrams." So then it's a, it's a, it's just a process of finding out what works for you, what keeps yeah. you invigorated in the story, and also just try to come up with a story that you feel you'll be able to keep the energy for. Because I, the amount of stories I've started and just have not carried on with just because I know just because I don't know where this is going to go or where this is going to develop or if I can develop these characters it's really bad mm. I have like a, a folder of shame on my laptop of just unfinished <laughs> stories and every time I go to like write something new they're just there like finish us please we've been here for years <laughs> and I'm like I'm sorry I can't I just I don't know what to do with you and I don't have the heart to delete them either because you know, one day I might go, ooh, I remember that idea. I know what I can do with that. So I, I, I keep them there. But it, it's it's sort of like a, a constant reminder of, of guilt <laughs> of the ideas I've started and have never finished. And obviously, if you're doing it casually, you kind of have that, uh, not free time, mm. you have that, oh, what's the word? Uh, you have that, you have that freedom to drop a story. If you're doing it professionally, like you're writing a, a novel for someone or you're writing a script, even if you've run out of energy for a particular idea, uh, you 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 got to keep doing it. So either take a day, mm. take a day break, step back, uh, give yourself a bit of free time to examine the story in a new light, maybe get someone else to look at it, or or just you know it, there are ways of getting energy back. I think just a little break and a step back can really help you refocus 
on the the story and the themes and the and the key because if you're if you've been writing for ages you'll just you'll get burned out and sometimes you hyper focusing on on one thing and you kind of lose sight of of the other things and and obviously that can lead to complications if you forget a plot point or you or suddenly a character does something that that doesn't make sense because they did something in the past and that's a completely different rabbit hole that I will not go down for the sake of for the sake of time. That's a, that's that's quite a good description for writing actually. It's a it's a very it's a very intriguing rabbit hole. It, it's it's something that's constantly going down and you can go multiple different ways of it and if you're you and if you're not careful you will just get lost and have no idea what to do. On on that point of like originality like when we look at all of the the great great writers whether it be like stanley or miyazaki or uh tolkien uh who write in their own completely unique styles they were all kind of pioneers of their style almost they created something that was completely new that that nobody had really seen before so how difficult is it to completely break the mold of what already exists and just create something that is uh, fresh and free from these kind of tropes and expectations that people have of existing literature? Well, that is a that is a very difficult uh, task because obviously, if you every genre or story, well, the, the audience will have pre-established ideas of what route that might take. You know, you say you're going to write a sci-fi uh, epic. People, people's minds might immediately jump to Star Trek or, or Star Wars or Starship Troopers or, or or whatever. But the kind of interesting thing is, you know, you said those great writers pioneered um, the genres. They didn't. They made them popular. They made the tropes in their the tropes and ideas in their books popular. But they didn't invent the the genre. They didn't invent the the kind of stories that they can create. Like Tolkien made fantasy literature. There was fantasy literature before Tolkien, and there was probably a lot. And there's probably tons of fantasy literature during Tolkien's time. It's just that Tolkien's world created sort of an idea of uh, races and worlds and geography and cities, and they were so good that it has led to an entire kind of joint understanding of what fantasy literature is like Tolkien led to Dungeons and Dragons Dungeons and Dragons is basically Lord of the Rings like that when you look at the descriptions for dwarves the descriptions for elves that is directly from from Tolkien and like you know before fantasy literature like he, he and but then it's interesting because Tolkien took didn't come up with the idea of the dwarves himself. Like for the dwarves, he based that on, um, I believe it was uh, Nordic mythology. Don't quote me. Don't quote me on that. It could be another. But I believe it is. Yeah, it's Nordic. It's Nordic mythology. So even then, like Tolkien wasn't a hundred percent original because he he saw something, thought that's cool, took it, uh, changed it around a little bit, and and then went with it and it was really popular and you could look at like you know look at marvel look at four four has been around for ages but marvel uh, the uh, i believe it's stan lee just looked at four looked at lots of concept and thought right i'm gonna take these elements i'm gonna leave some elements out i'm gonna change it around a little bit here's my character people love him uh, and push it out and now when you think uh, you know now people think of four and loki 
they're never going to think of like the old actual Norse tales. They're going to think of you know Thor and Loki from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So, I'd say it, when trying to make something original, keep in mind that originality doesn't really exist. At least not entirely. Like uh, something is not going to be entirely original. It's just the way that it's been done is kind of original. Like, um, God, it's uh, it 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 seem, it feels so complicated to explain. Like, um, I I guess if you, I don't want to stick stick on the fantasy. I don't want to stick on the fantasy example. Let's say let's say if you want to do an apocalypse story. Uh, and you want to do a zombie apocalypse story. I love zombie films, zombie stories, but let's be honest, they kind of all follow a similar pattern. Outbreak breaks out, survivors, blood, gore, angst, and, and that's kind of it. Um, I think So I think you want to do an original zombie story, there's, there's different routes you can take, you can think, okay, maybe they're not scientific zombies, they're magical zombies, or uh, they're not zombies, they're mutants, or these zombies um, they, they don't feast on brains they feast on other organs or or maybe like uh, maybe the world like does redevelop and zombies are just still around or maybe or maybe the the story is there was a zombie apocalypse the zombies rose up and they all just died and wasted away and the story is now focused on the world trying to rebuild itself and the zombies aren't really a part of it they're just kind of the uh, the 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 kind of trigger the plot trigger for the for the world to exist. Um, I mean, if you if you look at some of the uh, fantasy massive fantasy series since uh, Tolkien, you've got sort of like Game mm. of Thrones, uh, Wheel of Time, that sort of thing, and they do follow a similar plot, but the the world and the characters are very different. Yeah, like. Yeah, they follow they follow kind of typical fantasy tropes. Not all of them, but they they follow them like, and these are kind of tropes that have existed in in stories for for years. Like, look at a fantasy story. There's probably at least going to be one kind of magical artifact which uh, does something amazing, or uh, some kind of uh, old wizened wizard who accompanies the hero, or some kind of like. A mercenary who's kind of gruff and is a loner, but uh, grows to have a heart and is shown to have a strong sense of moral justice. These tropes and these characters always pop up. It's just um, how do we, you know, present them and how do we use them? Uh, and and back on that mercenary grizzled mercenary point. God, there are so many, uh, not just in fantasy but in any fiction. You you look up like. Uh, grizzled men with long sword and the the list is is long and that's just not in that's not just in fiction that's in D&D as well everyone wants to be Geralt of Rivia or or Aragorn or or oh, I don't even know and I'm and I'm guilty of that as well because you know who doesn't want to be like a, a sword wielding badass it, it it really it really is quite it really is quite bad and there's that they actually did this a statistic uh, there was a research where the most popular character choice is a human fighter. And that's kind of bad when you look at all the different race options and all the different class options, then the most popular one is guy with sword who hits things. It's like, we're really scraping the bottom of the creative barrel here, like, yeah, it's fun, but 
You could be a an elephant warlock who has made a pact with a demon from hell, and I'm like, nah, I'm just gonna be a guy with a sword and a shield who's, you know, got a beard, long hair, scar on his right eye. You know, I'm good with that. I'm fine with that. It's just like, alright, mate, you do you. No, no, <laughs> no, uh, no discredit to anyone who plays that character, because that is a cool character. What sort of character would you go for, though? Oh, I've, um, my most common character I've made is a warlock which is a kind of is a, is a sorcerer who's made a pact with a uh, could be a demon could be like a Cthulhu-esque god I, I like magic I like smart characters and I like playing warriors as well because warriors are a very simple character it's like I'm good at fighting that's my thing uh, and then from that you can develop it but I like uh, magic I like the idea of um of exploring that, and I like I like moral, I like moral complexity as well. I I think, like I like humans to be complicated and unique. Uh, well, I like my characters to be complicated and unique, just like humans. Um, but I don't start off with that. I start off with a cool idea, and then maybe it'll go the way I want it to, or maybe it won't. Uh, I had a character for a campaign which I was doing before COVID, and it was a a triton warlock, a triton's basically a merman, and the idea for my character was he was this grizzled veteran warrior who had fought in many wars, was really old, kind of gruff. That's he he stayed that for one session, and then for the rest of the sessions he turned into mermaid man. I'm not even joking. <laughs> he literally was mermaid. He was this old senile man who, whenever he would scream out. Evil. Every time he went, he couldn't say evil normally. He would say that's what he did, and I didn't mind that because it was funny, and that kind of became a joke of of the character and of the group. But wouldn't it, work it well in the novel, most it, likely. No, it, no, it it wouldn't. It wouldn't work. That and that's again, that's kind of the the randomness of of running a tabletop RPG to a novel because. Yeah, you could start. You could take your veteran warrior and turn him into a complete fucking imbecile, but uh, it probably would be a quite a jarring change. But my god, it's fun to play. <laughs> you mentioned the like the alluring kind of mysteriousness of moral complexity. Do you think that is why the the trope of like this this mercenary who who like the tin man in in uh, the wizard of oz finally gets a heart um why people are so drawn to that um kind of trope because it's this this mix of like oh massive muscular man with a sword who who hits things with his stick and you know kills them and then you know he's got all of these kind of moral obligations to people around the realm and and a, a greater task to fulfill I think for the the guy with sword who's who's muscular and mysterious, I think that's uh, more focused on power fantasy uh, in a lot <laughs> in a lot of ways. Um, but I I think I think people like moral complexity. Like it's if you've got a one note character, it becomes very obvious. Like um, you can have that moral complexity in everything from the aforementioned grizzled swordsman to like a chirpy wizard who's really happy all the time and, and loves their loves their friends loves their family wants to see the world but you can still make them morally complex you can still make it like um they believe that everything is everything that happens for the greater good is right and is acceptable and you know that 
that can lead to some interesting developments where, you know, that character's thinking like, oh, this town has been worshipping a demon. A lot of them are probably innocent. They don't know what they're doing, but they're worshipping the demon. We destroy this town. We get rid of the demon's power. That's pretty evil uh, in the eyes of many people, but to this character, that's acceptable. And that's where, you know, like drama and, and, and character development comes from. And I guess, you know, I mentioned evil. You know, what is evil? You know, what is good? That is a, that is a philosophical argument that may seem a bit too um, complicated for uh, a fancy novel, but it, that, that I always like looking at that. I always like looking at how uh, what how morals work because you know it could, especially now with the rise of villains being very popular and and morally complex villains in in storytelling, uh, especially with like the Marvel Cinematic Universe with. Um, Thanos, but more Killmonger from Black Panther, uh, a film which I uh, unfortunately have not watched yet. Uh, I need to. I need to do that. Uh, I highly recommend it. It's a very good film. Yeah, I know. I I want. I tried to watch it before um, Endgame, but I couldn't get like. I just. I just. I couldn't get to it. But I really want to watch it. It looks yeah. really good. It's very good. Um. Yeah, I, I think one uh, emotional complexity that all uh, fantasy lovers will be heavily subscribed to is the uh, the one-dimensional grunts of Gerald uh, uh, Gerald of Rivia from from The Witcher. Um, some brilliant uh, emotional display. Oh yeah, like and Geralt, Geralt, and that's and that's kind of the great thing about storytelling is that you know you look at a character and they seem like one thing, and there there's levels of complexity to him. Geralt of Rivia is is not just a grizzled monster hunter. He is a complicated character. But I guess as the audience you have a choice to, to either look deeper into his complexities or to just view him as the the big muscular guy who hits things with his sword and and, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. Sometimes it's just nice having a simple character who's the big fighter and is good at their job and they have that place in their party and and that's fine because you know you might have a sometimes not every character needs to be insanely complicated and insanely morally complex because yeah you might have a, a wizard two wizards arguing over what's right and wrong but at the end there's always going to be that one guy who's just kind of there like i just want to punch things uh, and and that's good. That's like that. That gives the audience something simple to view. It, it's fun. It gives you a bit more freedom to fun to write. And you know, who doesn't love? Who doesn't just love the the strong, tough guy who who gets things done with his fists or her fists? Tough, tough people. Yeah, tough people are not uh, gender. There, there's no you know gender specific. Tough people can be can be tough girls, tough men, tough. Tough uh, gender, fluid, non-binary, whatever. Tough warriors. There we go. I should have just said that. I should have just said that instead of going on that. <laughs> um, yeah. So when when you build a character or you build a world, to to what extent can you force that world of being the way that you want it to be? Because there there is always going to be the aspect of of the audience reading that. Ultimately, this world is created for the audience. And ultimately, the audience are going to take that and and interpret it in completely their own way. So, like you mentioned with Gerald of Rivia, 
you can either interpret him as this simple um, kind of bashing three-headed beasts with his longsword kind of guy, or this emotionally deep character with with an amazing backstory and kind of emotional decisions that can be made throughout. So, so how much can you force that character development onto an audience? The what you said about the the, the audience. Uh, this is a world made for the audience. I think showing how the cat the that's interesting because the audience are always going to fill in the blanks. Because this is a book, this is their imagination. You know, when you write a character, um, you're not this unless you, because when you write a character, you're not going to give concise, like exhaustive details of how they look. You're going to give a few tips, like if you're writing a, a female character, she had a long, flowing red hair that is tied up all the time in a ponytail to keep it out of her face. She has uh, piercing eyes, which. Uh, silence any person who tries to talk down to her she has a strong affirmative stance those are strong details gives a clear image of the character but the audience is always gonna one person is gonna imagine her differently to another person and you can't really control that and it's the same with the world like the audience is going to imagine the world um the way they the way they think it should be or the way they imagine it would be like you know you describe a castle um and you describe a castle and you can give again key details but the audience isn't going to imagine it exactly as you imagine it because whilst you may know the entirety of the story they don't um and that can lead to issues where you know you put out an illustration of a character or a setting and people get angry because that's not what they you know imagine imagine they look like or maybe they're a bit confused like oh i i didn't realize that they were you know that they had blonde hair i always imagined they had uh, brown hair or oh i didn't realize they were that muscular i always thought they were quite skinny so you know so y- you can only for well i guess you can force how your world and characters work all you want really i guess it's just it's up to you and you know maybe maybe there's there'll be some backlash from people who who you know don't like the how the characters actually are or, or whatever but that's getting to like when you're an established writer of like established worlds and stuff thanks for listening to episode 8 of open ends we will be back next sunday at 12 o'clock until then it's a goodbye from me from josh and from ronan bye bye